You know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk. What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Colado Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we choose one year at random and select one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year to discuss. Dylan's back this week after last week's radio episode. I was just like, I can't wait on him. I got to go ahead and record something. (laughs) Sure, blame it on me. (laughs) Not your work schedule causing (laughs) conflicts as well. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Doing some schedule shuffling around to fit around my new work schedule until my new new work schedule takes effect. So, you know, obviously life has been in flux due to quitting one job, graduating college and starting a new job. You know, it's hard to fit a podcast in there. This is my vacation from change. Old, reliable podcasting. Yeah. So this episode is centered around the year 2004 and... If you go back two weeks ago on our Patreon, we did a Bracketology episode on albums released in 2004. So we pit albums released in 2004 against each other. I like doing those. Those are really fun, fun episodes to do. But I like doing those because, too, it means that we could always come back to the same year and just do more of the albums that came out that year. As long as We can keep doing that as long as we have enough to make a bracket each time. So if we ever run across 2004 again and we, you know haven't done a chart or something like that, then uh, we might do another Bracketology on it. Who knows when that's going to happen? Probably yeah. will. <laughs> and that's on patreon.com slash punklottopod. One dollar gets you all of our weekly bonus audio. And then for a one-time $10 donation, you can choose the album we talk about on the show. So if there's something you wanted us to talk about that we've never done or a guest is yet to choose, slip us 10 bucks and we'll talk about it. Maybe you can even come on the show if you feel like it. And then you can follow us on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at PunkLottoPod, PunkLottoPod at gmail.com, and a voicemail line, 202-688-PUNK. Those are all the plugs out of the way. And let's just kind of get into it, because I think we're going to have a lot to say about this year and album. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing the year 2004, and the last time we have covered this record was episode 173 where we covered sugar colts palm trees and power lines <laughs> that was in march of last year we kind of hit do we hit every year we we tend to hit most years once a year when i when we do this there's some that we haven't but yeah we're pretty pretty good at not uh uh, spreading them out or you know not going back to the same years often yeah like some years i think the max we've done is like five times or like some weird weird 90s year where we just did like a lot of times for some reason but yeah 2004 not only did we do the sugar cult record we also did an episode 120 senses fail let it enfold you we did that with the band god program who have since (laughs) broken up but lee singer just graduated with a master's, so congratulations. And then episode 108, we covered Say Anything's Is a Real Boy with the band Petrov, and that was back in December of 2020. Here I am, laid down. 
prior to that, episode 34, Martyr AD on Earth as it is in Hell, as well as Blacklisted's Blacklisted EP. And that was April of 2019. We have only ever covered one album I've liked from this year. (laughs) You didn't like Sugar Cult? (laughs) I liked the Sugar Cult record more than I expected to. It was it was a decent enough listen. Yeah. And we'd actually talk about quite a few albums, like I said, on the Bracketology episode. So go check that out. Uh, it's very heavy on breakdown metalcore. <laughs> <laughs> we had some fun. Yeah, it was a good good one. But what else came out in 2004? Is this the one? Let's see. This is one that I chose the record from. And I sent you some options. And out of all the options, I think we covered actually quite a few of them on the Bracket episode. And my reasoning for choosing what I chose is I had started my new job and my brain was overloading from new information. And I told Dylan, man, I just want to talk about something dumb. And if you uh, <laughs> if you know what the episode we're talking what the album we're talking about today kind of tips the bit. But I had also selected Burning Bridges by Haste the Day to talk about. As well as Villainy and Virtue by Dead to Fall. Like these are my these are my dumb guy records I wanted to listen to. We wound up talking about those on the Patreon, but the one we didn't was the showdowns a chorus of obliteration. And when I sent that to you, I think your response was, that might be too dumb. Yeah, not the showdown. That was my immediate response to those four polls. I was like, well, not that one. I don't really want to touch that one with a 10-foot pole. Uh, The other two, I was like, those are maybe a little bit too spin kick. Um, I didn't know how much mileage we would really get out of those records talking about them yeah yeah that was my thinking too those albums may not be something that we could talk about extensively it would be like a thing where we wound up just like talking about all of their albums yeah <laughs> haste of the day specifically at least we would have been talking about all of the jimmy ryan years and then with dead to fall i think i told you i was like i wouldn't even want to cover that one i would want to cover one of the later ones before this one yeah and the showdown was just a i loved that record when it came out I think I revisited a couple years ago and was like, oh, this record's not good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I kind of wanted to do it for chuckles. But yeah, I don't know if we, how much we could get out of that one either. But 2004, what else What else we got here? We have such hit classic punk records as the Arcade Fires Funeral, Franz Ferdinand's self-titled album. Hot Fuss by the Killers. <laughs> Falling asleep and she's calling a cab while he's having a smoke and she's taking a drag. Like, and even that Modest Mouse record, Good News for People Who Love Bad News. I think there was something happening in the mainstream. There's an Interpol record. Yeah. 
that Libertines record. That's kind of in the garagey post-punk thing. Yeah, that was uh, even the Kings of Leon record. Yeah. TV on the radio. God, it just kind of keeps going. The Walkman. The Hives. Tyrannosaurus Hives. That's more the garage rock thing. Yeah. This first page is just not punk. There's so much (laughs) non-punk music on this thing. Yeah, we have Green Day's uh, rock opera. Yeah, I mean, I'll give that one to it. Any band that rips off Dillinger 4, I guess, is still considered a punk band. Yeah. I don't like that record, but it was important. Don't want to be an American idiot. We have more of your red tie emo uh, pop punk. (laughs) Yeah. With the Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance. Yeah, that's the one where they kind of locked in on their sound. Yeah. And then changed it on the next record. Well, kind of expanded on it. Is there a lot of Queen on Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge? I think it's starting to get there. They, They have the epic sensibility on this record which they kind of have that on the first record too but mm-hmm. it's definitely it's definitely pushed a little harder a little more anthemic on on this one and at the time we were teenagers and definitely in the uh no emos yeah <laughs> Should we get into that on the uh patreon as well yeah arms crossed i don't like this emo shit and now i'm like Helena's pretty good. I'm not okay. It's pretty good. I bet this record is pretty good. There's a lot of like 4.0 songs on here. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's probably better than the one we covered. I brought you my bullets and we liked that one. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't think I would like the Black Parade nearly as much as these, though, just because it, I don't know, it's a little it, much. It's a rock opera. Yeah. Also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't True. don't do rock operas. Do Coheed's concept albums count as rock operas? No. Those are prog records. <laughs> uh, we got Converge's You Fail Me. Really rad record. Yeah, that's been one of my favorite Converge records for a very long time. I, at one point, I would have said it was my favorite. I'm not sure at this point now, though. In the same vein, we have the Dillinger Escape Plans, Miss Machine, which they became a band where I was like, who, what? Who's this band all of a sudden? You know, this is the record. Well, yeah, because they uh, did not exist or were not active for like five years. Yeah, and I was a little too young for uh, calculating infinity. (laughs) Tying into the record we're talking about today, though, Lamb of God released Ashes of the Wake. And this is, is this peak Lamb of God? It looks like it might be the most. That is the most popular one. Yeah. I don't know what's considered the best. Actually, that one might be considered the best, too. Never could get into them. Nope. I think my big thing with them was I didn't like their guitar tone. It was just, like, very big and just not an appealing sound. It was very thrashy. Well, they would say it's very groovy. Well. (laughs) Groove metal. Yeah, I, I was curious. That does have me kind of trying to think of what fits that lane as well. And we may have to look off the punk charts for that kind of, 
I kind of want to look at the metal charts. Do it. Let's go to the metal charts then. Because this is not an opportunity that we often have on the show. And this is one of those records that really does cross over between hardcore and metal. Mm -hmm. We're also in an era. Is this the last era where metal really carried some cachet when it came to mainstream musical, you know, notice recognition? Or was it just because we were too in it at the time that we just feel that way? Uh, Lamb of God was in Guitar Hero, I think. Yeah. So I pulled the metal page and the number one record is Leviathan by Mastodon. Yeah. And I know lots of punks who listen to that record. Yeah. Yeah. Immediately after this, Mastodon would be like a really big band. Mm-hmm. to the point of being like a metal band that can show up on TV. Yeah. Like late night um, TV. On late night talk shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So this, this, this confirms too my suspicion about what was going on in 2004 metal slip, not released volume three, the subliminal verses. We got Slipknot and Lamb of God putting out albums at the same time. Very relevant to the album we're talking about today. And you can't forget, Kill Switch Engage released the end of Heartache that year as well. This distance, this dissolution. Yeah, this is this is the last era, the last couple of years where I think you have rock radio in certain markets playing metal bands. Yeah. And these are the metal bands that have continued to win the metal Grammys. Yeah, right. Yeah. 20 years later, still winning Grammys. <laughs> Metallica being the other band that still wins Grammys. <laughs> and Maiden, I guess, too. Yeah, so that kind of really, really lays the groundwork for what is going on in metal. We covered a lot of the metalcore stuff going on around at the time, too. And those are the two sounds that I think are most important when it comes to our album we're talking about today. So I think we should just segue into that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. So 2004 was the year that came up. We hadn't covered in a minute. And like I told Dylan, I was like, let me find I wanted something dumb. So we're talking about Summer of Darkness by the band Demon Hunter. Yeah. 
that out of the way first. Demon Hunter formed in Seattle, Washington in the year 2000. They are an alternative metal slash metalcore slash new metal band. <laughs> we'll talk about that specifically on a song that I wanted to talk about. And it was released on Solid State Records May 4th, 2004, which means it turns 20 next year. Woof. This is the band's second full-length album. And at this point in the band's history, the members of the band were still a secret. In Slipknot fashion, Demon Hunter kept the identities of the band hidden. Part of that was the gimmick of just being like, oh, look at this, this is spooky. And then we have fo- we put photos out of the band that like you can't make out who anybody is. And who's Bandana Man? That was a really big like topic of discussion amongst Demon Hunter fans. <laughs> yeah. And it was... So it was if you were in that Christian metal, metalcore, punk scene, it was it was understood that they were a supergroup, right? Mm-hmm. From, yeah. From the beginning, it was kind of like is this is a supergroup of like tooth and nail, solid state, and related bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thus the like you know kind of the secrecy because as far as like th- that would only mean anything to to those kids, <laughs> right? The band's secrecy, yeah, that's like outside of people who are into the bands that were rumored to be the makeup of of demon hunter nobody would have given a shit nobody would have cared right because every member of every band is more or less a secret because no one knows who the hell they are (laughs) Uh, most bands are made up of nobodies right you've never heard of most of the people in the band before they were in the band (laughs) And most bands consist of people who were in other bands before they were in their band. So really, for the rest of the world, the supergroup aspect of this band is just like, who? I've never heard of any of these bands. Who cares? Yeah. Now, one of the things, too, that also is like, ooh, it's a secret band. It's because they weren't a real band. Yeah. (laughs) So it's a good marketing trick, for sure, to to say, like, it's a supergroup. There's... Maybe there's five of them when in actuality there was two of them. (laughs) There were two actual members and yeah, they hired another member. So we have now known thanks to, Hey, the band actually is starting to sell some records. Uh, Maybe you should tell everybody who you are so you can be on the front of like magazines. We also have music videos to make now. Yeah. We can do interviews and which by the way, everybody was like, Ooh, the members of the band are secrets. They made a music video for their first record infected. The song is called Infected. The album is called Demon Hunter. And nobody knew who it was then. Yeah, because uh, the nobodies that they were, they, <laughs> you wouldn't recognize them from what bands they came from. <laughs> because they weren't on the front of magazines. <laughs> so the the roots of the band basically consisted of two guys. Ron. Oh, my God. I do this every fucking time. It's Ron. Ryan, Ryan Clark. And Don Clark. For some reason, I always want to call him Ron Clark and Don. I wanted to be the Ron and Don, the the <laughs> the wrestling tag team Harris brothers. <laughs> Ron and Don Hans Harris. <laughs> Ryan Clark and Don Clark of the band Training for Utopia. <laughs> and most of you go who who? And if you know, you go. Oh, like that botch wannabe band? <laughs> yeah. That also were kind of industrial? Yeah. 
Yes, Training for Utopia were a solid state band that was noise core, little botch influenced, little bit coalesce influenced. And then there's some industrial kind of like effects on their last record. Uh, Ryan was also in the band Focal Point, which is just a hardcore band. It's kind of a straightforward hardcore metalcore band. He was like 19 when he was in that band. And it's just the two of them, brothers, and they're, they wrote a record. And they're like, hey, we got this record. And they're like, mm, but neither one of us are drummers. So let's hire a drummer. So they hired Jesse Sprinkle, drummer from the band Poor Old Lou. That's like his most famous band he was involved with. I'm throwing this out and hoping Uh, just kind of like an alternative rock, indie rock band. He's Je- he, Jesse's known for his session work, a lot of session work. Yeah. Jesse Sprinkle is the brother of Aaron Sprinkle, who mm-hmm. at the time, for many years, was more or less the house producer for Tooth & Nail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like one of like three guys who pretty much produced like every Tooth & Nail Solid State album for like five years straight. <laughs> And so, yeah, they hired a drummer to play and then they had to hire a band to go tour that record because they did a little tour with that. I think they toured with um, X-Toll because X-Toll had done like a U.S. tour. And so over time, we have since learned the members of the band, the live band, and we'll just run down the personnel. It is Ryan Clark on vocals, Don Clark on rhythm guitar, John Dunn on bass, Chris McCadden on lead guitar, mm, quotes, uh, and Jesse Sprinkle on drums. So John Dunn and Chris McCadden were hired on to tour with them. Jesse Sprinkle was like, you want to go on tour with us? And he's like, sure. So that's the band. The record is just Ryan, Don and Jesse with Chris performing additional guitars. So a little background on Chris McCadden. He previously played in the band Embodiment. And I think he was in Society's Finest briefly as well. Uh, he played guitar. They were a Texas like death grind band, almost what would later probably be called death core. And he was the vocalist and guitarist in that band. I've heard interviews with uh, the members of Embodiment who were not Chris. And because they had started another band called The Famine years later with Chris and the other guys from Embodiment. And like two of the guys in Embodiment, like the drummer and one of the other guitar players, they were like, Chris couldn't play his guitar. Chris was not a good guitar player. He could sing like he did the vocals. He did that stuff, but he could not play guitar. Everything he played was shown to him. So whenever I read that Chris provided extra guitars on the record and he was the lead guitarist on this album, I was like, was he really, though? (laughs) How much did he contribute? Because really, we'll get into the guitar tone and the sound and the guitars on this record. I'll just say now he really didn't add anything to the band (laughs) that wasn't already there on the first record. And so this record was produced by Aaron Sprinkle. This is their second album. And yeah, we'll pause there for like, that's like the kind of the backstory, right? Like that's everything we need to know about Demon Hunter up to this record. It's the Clark brothers and they hired a bunch of dudes to play with them. And they still pretty much wrote all the music on the record. So when I said I wanted to do something dumb, I looked at that record and I was like, this might be the winner. This might be the one where I'm like, I think we could get the most out of this band and this record specifically. So I'm, I guess I could take it back to the beginning of when I first became aware of Demon Hunter. This was during the era of the Christian bookstore where you were allowed to open the CD and put it into a CD player that they had there on the shelf so that you could sample it because no one knew who any of these bands were. Yeah. 
They needed to sell the stock. <laughs> they couldn't rely on the uh, the little fold-out sheet with the, if you like this band, you'll like this Christian band. <laughs> So that was like a thing. Like if you were if you were like you were in youth groups and like your parents cared what kind of music you were listening to and you were only allowed to listen to Christian stuff, which I feel like was only a thing thanks to the 90s. <laughs> thanks, 90s. Yeah, you're very familiar with the the uh, they always wanted you to ask first. You weren't supposed to just like open it because they didn't want I guess they wanted to make sure you weren't stealing it. But you well, and they probably just were like, well, we have an open copy. <laughs> Already true. Use that one. Because I would do that. I would just scour the shelves and be like, okay, okay, what's open already? I can sample. And I sampled so much stuff that way. I don't think I ever asked to open anything myself. I just, whatever was already open. This was also like at the time period where tapes and CDs were on the shelf at the same time. And so like a lot of the tapes were open, like straight up open. I think because tapes were a little more durable. You weren't as easy to scratch a tape. You know, you couldn't yeah. scratch a tape. So I listened to a lot of tapes especially in like 98, 99, 2000. And I was at the, what, the Family Christian Bookstore, which is now out of business. And uh, <laughs> and actually, it was the one in Hickory that is now a natural dog pet food store <laughs> <laughs> next to Target. And this one was open already. It was already like one that they had open. So I was like, what is this? The album cover grabbed my attention. They had this killer logo. The first cover makes it look like it's a, an ancient book, you know, and so, like, I put the CD in. I'm like, this is cool. And I bought it and was like, this rocks. This is so good. It's like loud, heavy metal plus clean singing because I'm a weenie and still need clean singing in my music, in my heavy metal at this age. I was just coming off of new metal at this point. <laughs> so I was getting into, like, harder stuff. And I was like, this is so good. I love it. Who's the band? Like we speculated, we read articles in HM magazine, which is a Christian heavy metal magazine, Heaven's Metal magazine. And uh, the article was an interview with a mystery band. So it was like, what are we doing? What are we doing in this article? I would love to find that article and read it now. See what it what it even says, because like, how do you do an interview and not give yourself away, I guess. But um, and it really wasn't much longer. That record came out in 2003, I believe. And then it was like. Less than six months later, I was like, Demon Hunter has another album coming out. And so Summer of Darkness, I saw the ads for it. I think I probably heard like a song on uh, Pure Volume at the time. Love that website. Yeah, swirly, low bit rate. (laughs) Streaming over. Did we dial up dial up then? Yeah. We had dial up for way longer than anyone should have had dial up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was a big like. Whereas everybody else was on cable internet, my parents yeah. then switched to DSL. Yeah. <laughs> then eventually, I think it was just like my phone doesn't even work. So yeah. they finally switched. <laughs> <laughs> the phone company's like, yeah, we are replacing all the lines. You have to update. <laughs> so Summer Darkness comes out. I'm like, I am here for it. I am gonna. I'm buying this. I probably bought it the day it came out, or at least the week it came out. Because this is, I was working at a car wash at the time, so I had cash. My only bill was my car insurance, which is like a hundred dollars a month. So I, I had just extra cash. And in fact, I saved my money better when I just had cash in a box than I did whenever I had a, a debit card. Because then I just started overdrafting like crazy. <laughs> yeah, when you can see the money, <laughs> it helps. Yeah, and my parents made me get a bank account because they're like, you can't just have like five hundred dollars just loose in your room. 
in a Werther's original box, like <laughs> that previously held my pogs, my pog collection. <laughs> Those and, all got mixed into probably a big plastic tub with all of my pogs. Yeah, because it was 2004 and we're like, who has, well, you still have pogs. <laughs> we didn't need to have separate pog collections at that point. So buy the album. And I'm listening to it back then. I'm like, this record's so good. And the songs are so good. And do we go into the show now? Is that the next the next well, thing? So, you uh, lay, your, lay your two cents up to this point. Uh, so around this time, our cousin, who's about my age, just a little bit younger than me, less than mm-hmm. a year younger than me, uh, who, you know, at this point has was kind of following a similar musical trajectory as us, though he was allowed to listen to mainstream music. Mm-hmm. Um, because his mom loved like Ozzy and Corn, and like went to Ozfest. And um, funny, a, a little aside, our cousin actually just sent me a text of her picture of her recently. Uh, she's in her 60s. Uh, she got a black eye at the uh, Rob Zombie show. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like a fun conversation we had about how he was like, yeah, I remember going to like Ozfest when I was like 12 and seeing her slamming people in the mosh pit. And, uh, so he was allowed to listen to cool music yeah, and didn't have to exclusively listen to Christian music. But I think, I guess just being our cousin and being a youth group kid. Yeah. Um, he, he did listen to some solid state and to the nail stuff. So he was getting into this stuff kind of at the same time as us mm-hmm. through us. I want to say even. Yeah. Like he was, he was buying all the new metal albums that we yeah. weren't allowed to get. Like we were allowed to get POD which thank yeah. God POD existed because they were like the mainstream Christian band. And then, cause otherwise I had to rely on pillar and East West. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's listening to the, you know, the Limp Bizkit records. Yeah. He's got Limp Bizkit. And, he's and got corn and corn and <laughs> stained and cold. <laughs> <laughs> he has so many albums. Yeah. So that's, you know, he was like our, he was really like our only like music friend at that point. Yeah. Our middle really. friend. <laughs> Because we didn't we didn't know we or we didn't have our extreme metal black metal neighbor yet uh, <laughs> yet. Um, and then other than that, we were homeschooled. So mm-hmm. our friends in homeschool were, for the most part, very sheltered. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was stuff that we were limited in from. But like at the same time, like our mom's favorite movies were like Austin Powers movies and, <laughs> you know, like. Our dad was a longtime Kiss fan and, yeah. you know, still listened to the music that he wanted to listen to. But yeah, so we were like and, you know, he would like he would show us occasionally show us like PG-13 R-rated stuff. Yeah. Depending on what it was. So we were like, you know, semi sheltered. But as far as like the stuff that we could listen to on our own and consume on our own, you know, it was it was it needed to be fairly clean. And I do want to mention that. This came about not so much because our parents were like, you're not allowed to listen to non-Christian music. What happened was I bought the Offsprings Americana and (laughs) Smash Mouth's Astro Lounge in the same day. My mom made me give the CDs to my dad so he could read over the lyrics to make sure there's nothing like bad in it. And then they gave it back to me and I was allowed to like keep it. But it was just one of those things was like, am I going to have to do this every single time? You know what? I know a shortcut. Let's just buy Christian music. They're not going to question it until 
years later when they were like, what is this you're listening to? And then they started like going over lyrics and looking at album art. And I'm like, yeah, I sold in a Christian bookstore, but it's, you know, it just, just doesn't mean anything really. Most it's of it. Because it, yeah, stuff that slipped through like the agony scene and <laughs> you know, stuff that was project not... 86 album with a big knife through <laughs> yeah. like a hole in a guy's chest. Yeah. And they read um, the lyrics and they were like, how is this Christian? And I read the lyrics and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a metaphor. <laughs> it's a I don't know what any of this means for sin. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I don't think any of these musicians are actually meaning nearly as much as they were trying to say that they were. <laughs> yeah. So I was a long I was a little younger, uh, along for the ride uh, in 2014. I want to say. Or not 2014, 2004. <laughs> yeah, what? I want to say, uh, what was I listening to? On your own trajectory? Yeah, what was I buying? Reliant K's Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I gotta get out of here. I'm stuck inside this rut that I fell into by mistake. Yeah, up to that point, like, I was very into Reliant K. There's probably not an audio adrenaline record that year. I'm not sure where they kind of, where I dropped off with them. Uh, so for the most part, I'm listening to the radio. Yeah. Reliant K is probably like my biggest band, probably my favorite band at that point. Mm-hmm. Just prior to mm-hmm. generally just a roll along for the ride, listening to the stuff that you're listening to, borrowing your CDs occasionally and having those, we, you know, we were doing, I want to say I might've bought like a Staves Acre record around this time. Um, we were doing that thing of like, well, this is your band, so you buy their CDs. Yeah. Uh, so Demon Hunter was your band. Yeah. But I loved them. I mean, I listened to them all the time. So along with you and our cousin, me, like we're all three really into Demon Hunter. Mm-hmm. And Summer of Darkness comes out. Yeah. And they're touring. Mm-hmm. At this point. The only concerts we had been to. <laughs> can you get them all? Because I can probably name all of them. Carmen. Carmen on the Mission 316 at Paramount Carowinds. We're on, we're on, we're on a mission. And that was more of just like, we're at Carowinds. I don't give a shit about what's happening on the stage right now. <laughs> yeah. I was like excited because I had the Carmen CD. Uh, Carmen was a white rapper slash worship singer. <laughs> who released an album called Mission 316, which was like all Mission impossible out. Yeah, Carmen was a Jersey boy, <laughs> yeah. Christian rapper. <laughs> Very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what's next? Is it Kiss? It is Kiss at the Charlotte Coliseum with Skid Row and Ted Nugent opening. Yep. I remember it well. I also remember my mom being like, put these wadded up balls of toilet paper in your ears. <laughs> Because they didn't have earplugs and it was very loud. And that hurt my ears more than just the loud music. And I wound up just taking them out. I was like, I can't even hear what's happening. And like, I took them out. It was fine. Uh, Let's see. Let's see. Can I get them? Can I get them all? There's a couple hockey game shows. There's two of those. There's two hockey game shows. This was a thing. It still is a thing, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Christian artists playing after sports events. Yeah. Um, We saw FFM. I think that was the name. Is that their name? FFM or FFH or for for him? It was like a yeah, contemporary Christian thing. F- FFM 
Is FFM the magazine? <laughs> yeah, it is. FFH sounds right. FFH is the band. Uh, and also opening that band was the Christian boy band featuring ex-members of 98 Degrees, not yeah. the Lachey's. <laughs> yeah. The other ones. Uh, and then we did see Audio Adrenaline, my mm-hmm. favorite band for oh, most of my childhood. Underdog tour. Uh, I don't remember if there's an opener for that. I get down, he lives in the open. But no, I don't remember there being one. I don't think there was. It might have just been them. But yeah, I think that's the four. That's the four shows we had prior. So first concert at a amusement park, one giant mega concert, and two post hockey shows. So we learn about this tour. De- uh, Demon Hunter is going on tour. They're going on tour with the band Dead Poetic, who released their album New Medicines, which I had bought prior to the show. I think the week of the show, I bought the album. As well as Haste the Day, who had put out their album Burning Bridges. I didn't have that one. I didn't know them very well. And then an Asheville metal band called Sanctity. Yeah. And they were playing at Ace's Basement in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you know your North Carolina hardcore music, that was a very popular venue. Yeah. Mostly hardcore played there. But it was like a staple of Greensboro. It was like in the, literally the basement of like a hotel. Yeah. So, Yeah. Our amusement park uh, arena post hockey game concert experiences um, <laughs> leading up to a, the basement of a seedy motel in Greensboro. <laughs> Legitimately a seedy motel. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a bad neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Our aunt drove us. Mm-hmm. She sat in the parking lot. Yeah. The whole night. Which I think was actually uh, she was supposed to go in with us. Yeah. I think that was how that went. And she's like, I don't want to go in here with this. I don't want to teenagers. This. I don't want to go in here. So we go to our that's for you and me. That's our first that's our first basement show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, our it's first a heavy show. It's our, it's our first, first like club show. First metal slash hardcore show. Um, I wouldn't get to a punk show until college, like just a straight punk show. Yeah. Because I remember being in college telling this guy, I was like, you know, I've been to a bunch of like hardcore metal shows, but I've never been to a punk show. And he's like, we got to change that. And he was like, a he was a butt flaps guy. Like he was like <laughs> patches and flannels and butt flaps. And I'm like, why are you here at this Christian college? You love rancid. <laughs> I think his name Bell was for the trick. I think his name was Dan, maybe one year, one year student. Like, yeah, and maybe not even a full year. Like he may have just been like, ah, fuck this <laughs> a semester. I'd like to find that guy. I, mean, I wish I knew his full name because I would like to actually find that guy and be like, hey, what was it like being the only punk in a Christian college? Terrible. Yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> That's why I left. <laughs> uh, My that parents me. made me. <laughs> I graduated from it. Yeah. So, yeah, Demon Hunter is our first real foray into punk and hardcore live in person. Um. So on that tour, uh, so we mentioned all the bands that we saw. Dead Poetic played. We were fairly new to them. Uh, their singer, Brandon, was not there. Mm-hmm. He uh, was at a wedding. Like, it wasn't his wedding. He was, like, going to be, maybe he was in the wedding. Probably was in it. And so he wasn't, he was, like, he, like, left for, like, two shows on the tour and then came back later. Uh, so we were of, like, the one of two shows where he was not there. And I remember going to the merch table and being like, I want to buy this record, their first one, For All Blackmail. 
And the guy was like, you should buy this one because this one's our new one. And I was like, I actually already have it. So let me buy that one. He's like, oh, because <laughs> he was like, this one's I think he was one of the guys in the band. And he was like, this one's better. <laughs> I think that's what his main concern was. Filling in on vocals with Skylar Kroon of He Is Legend. Skylar Kroon. He Is Legend lead singer. He didn't know the words. Um, no. Any of he the did songs. Because <laughs> it was brand new. Like, the album had just come out, like, a week before, two weeks before. And so he's, like, he's doing this thing, too, the whole time where he's, like, kind of just dangling the microphone over his mouth so that he doesn't have be, isn't very audible. And then they would do, like, these back-to-back singing moments, I think, because he didn't know the words and the other guy did. And so, like, they would do that or they would sing into the same mic together. And this is embarrassing, but I also remember somebody in the crowd asking him if he was gay. He's like, what? No, <laughs> we're just singing on the same microphone. I think it was just like Skylar has a very um, seductive dancing style too, like very like evocative and just like slithery like a snake type, you know, rock and roll dancer style. But like nobody in that kind of music was doing that. Yeah, they were all homophobes. Yeah, uh, the kids. Yes, yeah, the children. It's worth, worth mentioning. <laughs> it's a very homophobic era. Yeah, was. And we were pretty close during Sanctity. We were like right up front during Sanctity. Haste Today played next. And that's when the dancing started. <laughs> the hardcore dancing started. And we were immediately pushed to the back. And then we tried to we tried to work our way back up to the front by the time Demon Hunter got on stage. And we were push moshers back then just because we don't like this hardcore dancing. Yeah, we want to push mosh. Yeah, well, our cousin liked to push that. <laughs> Demon Hunter played with so yeah they 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 debuted their new drummer uh, on that tour Yogi Watts Yogi still their drummer today I think is he I think he is still in the band he's still their drummer yep he's still listed as a drummer John Dunn is also still in the band because (laughs) his job prior to Demon Hunter was A and R rep for Solid State Records (laughs) no band experience prior either or at least nothing on record. Didn't he do photography? McCadden did photography. McCadden did photography. He does the album photos. Some of them. Like the band photo. No, he can't do the band photos. He's in the band. I don't think there even was a band photo. There might have been a band photo in there. But no, McCadden was a photographer. So they played. I remember very being very thrilled. Uh, yeah. Enjoying it. Loving the show. Um, We went up to them after they played because it was, who are they? <laughs> yeah. And then we asked Ryan. Who are you? Or like, what's your name? And he said, Ryan. <laughs> well, that doesn't answer any questions. <laughs> yeah, because it was it was a big it was still a secret at that point. Like, who is it? I mean, maybe if you'd seen Training for Utopia, you would know who they are. Maybe. But uh, who he was still that? had hair in Training for Utopia. It's true. It's true. Uh, he shaved his head um, after, which means he was going bald pretty early because he was pretty young. still. he was oh, young. He was- He's still in his 20s. <laughs> yeah. Um, Summer of Darkness, he was turned 25, probably. I think he yeah. was 24 when they wrote it. Yeah. Because uh, there is a lyric in one of the songs, uh, 24 more to make it right. Yeah. And I was like, that's his age. Referring to his age. So the genius.com. <laughs> yeah. I remember being like, man, this is so amazing. Like that show stuck. Like it was at that age where like one show was enough to carry you for <laughs> months. Because I'm pretty sure we tried to go to another show the year after, and it got canceled on the way to the show, which that was a bummer. 
The Showdown was one of the bands who was supposed to play that show. Yeah. Blindside, Showbread, and The Showdown at Man. Ace's Basement. That would have been awesome. Let's just see Showbread at that time. But yeah, that show got canceled on the way. Because like one of the bands had to cancel, so they canceled the whole thing. I don't know. That was one of those weird. Like, why'd know. you do that? Yeah. You could just still played. Yeah. Um, what do you want to do now? Do you actually want to talk about this album? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we should. Yeah. So, Summer of Darkness. Because when Summer Doctors came out, I listened to it, and I, I remember being like, love it, this, song, this, record's, this record's great, I love all the songs. But there was still in the back of my mind, I was like, I think I like the first one better. And I think I even knew then that the first one I thought was the better of the two. And then they would put out a record later called The Triptych when I was in college. And I think I even liked that one more than Summer of Darkness. So this was like, at the time I loved it, and then as I got further away from the release and that show, I liked it less and less. Until I got to the point, too, where I was like, I don't give a shit about Demon Hunter anymore. Were they ever good? I remember revisiting the first record. I did it not too long ago, revisiting the first record and being like, this first record's still pretty good. I, I think it holds up pretty well. Every It's been a really long time since I've revisited the first record. But every time that I did, I was like, this is good. This holds up. There are enough songs on here that are like genuinely great songs. Now, I, I don't know. It might not might not hold up for me today but it's i wouldn't i wouldn't be shocked if i listened to it today and was like yeah i still enjoyed that yeah i listened to it like within the last two or three months i think i did on i'm listening this year so and i remember being like hey it, it holds up i mean it could be nostalgia but it i still still got enjoyment out of it yeah do you remember the last time you listened to summer darkness before the show no yeah like, there's a chance I maybe listened to it within since. See, when would I have stopped really listening to them? Sometimes I'm in college, maybe even before I even left college, I probably would not have listened to this record. So let's just say like 2007 would have been the last time I would have listened to it all the way through and just like never came back to it ever. So coming back to it, listening to it today in 2023 as an adult with a fully formed cortex. Or whatever it is. Frontal lobe. Is that the thing you're supposed to not have till 25? But Which is a myth. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So out of curiosity, I went to look at my last FM to see if I have any revisits to this in the last since 2008. 
if you want to know what kind of freak I am, I have data on my listening back to the year I turned 18. <laughs> There's 2023 with 15 Scrabbles. There's 2015 with one Scrabble. A song must have come up. <laughs> one song. And if it was September 2015. Would that have been a calendar? Are you doing the calendar yet? You weren't doing the calendar in 2015 yet. If it was summer of 2015, September of 2015, I that probably came up after listening to the first record. That was probably the last time I, I listened to any Demon Hunter albums. I bet I can find out. <laughs> September 2015, I listened to, yeah, the self-titled record, I think. So, yeah, it's been since 2015 that I've listened to any Demon Hunter records. Okay. Which is, what, eight years ago? <laughs> so, yeah, that's a period. That's a period of time. So, coming back to it now, it's not a very good record. No. No, it's not. I think I knew that, too, though, at the same time. Like, I think I, I was like, this is not going to be good. There's a reason why I said I want to listen to something dumb. And this was one of the ones I thought of. Yeah. So, uh, let me do the emotional element of listening to this record probably haven't listened to it in over a decade let's say there was a chance i listened to some songs in that time between but <laughs> i was like the okay let's just look at the first song the first song on here so i'm not ready to die it starts off with this like synth intro just like this quick like like synth thing it's kind of quick kind of fast and then it's like, it's like immediate pink, pink floyd synth <laughs> kind of thing it like hits right away just like these big riffs lead up and then it starts right into ryan clark's like growly rappy voice this the his verses his rebel 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 voice that we've uh said he gets to like the pre-chorus you know like the the, the palm you like dun 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 like we'll make like knives like that part of the song we'll take demands or something like that and then he's got like his screamed pre-course. There are like two pre-courses on every single song on this album. Songs, songwriting on this is nuts. I'll get into that later. I get into the chorus. It's like clean sung. I'm like, I'm singing along with it. <laughs> like the first, probably the first time I've listened to this album in a decade plus, And I'm singing along with the songs, on like the lyrics to this first song. And it's just got a breakdown. They do the chorus like five fucking times in the song. <laughs> The bridges all have talk singing on them. This song is five minutes long. Then it's a car wreck sound that sounds like it's ripped from Destroyer. And I'm like, wow, I remembered every second of this song. This is so amazing. This is so much fun. I can't believe it's been so long since I listened to it. I have quibbles, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. We get to The Awakening. That's the second song. Slower song. A little different. Structurally, a little different. Mid-pace tune. And I'm like, hey, that song's solid, pretty good, not too bad. Then Beheaded comes up. That's the third track. This is a fast song. This features guest vocals by Mike Williams of the Agony Scene, another solid state metalcore band. Uh, and also we learned much, much later. Um, Mike Williams also played in John Moreland of the Dust Bowl Souls because <laughs> he was in a hardcore band with John Moreland in Oklahoma before uh, <laughs> Agony Scene. It's just very funny to me that John Moreland and the guy from the agony scene were friends, but we are there. We are, and that song's loud. It's heavy. It's fast. It's got a break. 
it's got a breakdown. It feels like the most metal core, the most hardcore song on the album. That your history is dead, dead wrong. History is dead, dead wrong. <laughs> Just a, it's like the most metal core song on the record. No singing. No, all hard vocals. Really, if I look at this whole record, probably the best song. It's the best song. Yeah, you yeah. you you land on that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the best song. The next two are where I'll stop doing track by track, but. We get to My Heartstrings Come Undone. This is the ballad. Ah, oh, the ballad. It's really long and annoying and uh, very repetitive and uh, was featured on the uh, Resident Evil Apocalypse soundtrack. It was like the song that people that most people who are into like metal, metalcore, new metal stuff would have probably heard the first by them because it just had way more reach than anything else on this record. And I remember listening to it. I'm like, ah, yeah, it was never my favorite song on the album, but it was always like the oh man, metal guys can get sensitive too, you know, you know, it was kind, it's kind of a love song, I think, or, or it's about Jesus, one of the two. Yeah, so my, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my, my arc listening to this, revisiting this up to this point, because I feel like this is a good, uh, a good turning point in the record to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Not ready to die. So first song, I'm like, all right, some pretty good riffs in this. I remember this. I'm like, uh, the lie and like, there's a couple of like lines that really pop out in that song, like even mine is not a chisel for a thickened skull <laughs> and uh, make like knives and make demands. Uh, I'm burning bridges for the last time. There's a lot of like we would call the message board signature lines. <laughs> yeah. If you were yeah. if you were on the Demon Hunter message board. But that song is so like stapled together. It's just like now here's this part. Now here's this part. Now here's this part. Now here's this. There's too many parts a song to also yeah. then repeat the chorus a bajillion times <laughs> the awakening is fine i'm like kind of like along for the ride headed i'm like all right this is pretty good i'm actually kind of having fun with this record like you know maybe more fun than i expected to revisiting it after such a long time and with kind of our uh <sighs> demon hunter is one of those bands that you just kind of we got into them at a at a such an earnest impressionable young age that it I've always had a hard time properly rating, but knowing that through sheer overexposure and changing tastes at a formative in those teenage years got very tired of and just mm-hmm. dropped completely. Mm-hmm. But in, in revisiting this record, I hit we hit my heartstrings coming down and I was just like, this is not good. Here this, it is. This isn't good. This is it, right? The rest of the I, I, like I hit that song and I'm like the rest of this record I'm like it's an it's an uphill battle just to recover from that song. <laughs> I'm like there can't be. I'm looking at this track listing and I'm like is there anything buried in this record that I'm just like that's a great one? No, yeah, you're right because it's like all right, Hard Springs to and done. It's fine, but it sucks the energy out of the record and I really think it should have been the last song on the album. Or like track 10 or something like that. It's like a, what is it, a 13 track album? And it's followed by Our Faces Fall Apart. <sighs> they should have called this Our Album Falls Apart at this this point of the album. <laughs> yeah. It's another vaguely thrashy, da-na-da-na-da-na-da-na-based song with Howard Jones phoning it in. <laughs> yeah. Our Faces Fall Apart features Howard Jones of Kill Switch Engage, who at this point was humongous like he was Killswitch were giants in the scene such an important big band for metalcore did howard hear this song 
and go and hear this band and be like, well, I can't blow up his spot. Oh, you mean like I can't show up Ryan? Yeah, like I can't. Because Howard's a much better singer than Ryan is. Because Howard doesn't do clean vocals, right? It's only like growled vocals. Is he not the one doing the the clean singing on that song? I don't think it is. I think it's still Ryan. <laughs> Which would explain why it's so bad, because it's just... <laughs> and if you've ever heard Howard Jones, Powerhouse. Yeah. There's a reason voice. why Killswitch is famous for their cover of Holy Diver. Yeah. Because Howard has a fucking awesome, loud, powerful voice. And he gives the... Oh, you're right. It is like this kind of like... Secrets of the angel. It's like a muted vocal performance. You're right. That might actually be Howard singing now that I think about it. Or it's a harmony, maybe. Yeah. And I'm just like, you wasted your Howard Jones here. Wasted. Absolutely wasted. I don't love Killswitch Engage. I really, I never really got into them. I've seen them. They have good songs, I guess. But I don't love them. But I know what Howard can do with his voice. Yeah. And he doesn't do it here. Right. It's 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 shocking, honestly, looking back. It's like and you're going to put, you know, and this record is is put out with like, oh, you know, shit. heavily promoted with all of these guest vocal spots. Yeah. And that's one of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Williams, you're like, OK, cool. This is just solid state records being like, you got to have one of our guys on here. And so they do that. And then like. But we got Howard Jones. It's like, hell yeah, you did. Let's let's put that sticker on the album cover, you know. And then you're also like, we also got the guy from 36 Crazy Fists. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, the, the Alaskan metalcore band. They were like the only band anybody ever remembers from Alaska. Fine, whatever. And then. Uh, Wait, oh, isn't, but, where's Five Finger Death Punch from? I think from like Vegas or something like that. I don't think they're from Alaska. Oh, yeah, they're from Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are from Vegas. And then then. Uh, uh, Trevor McNevin of Thousand Foot Crutch and FM Static. We'll get to him because I have some thoughts on him. But we're like, wow. Uh, yeah, okay. So Howard just phones it in on that song. And that's when I go, these songs all sure do sound the same. And this is when I'm like, oh, there's a Demon Hunter formula. And this is why you need more than two people writing all the songs for a metal band. Because every single song after this is the same verse, but and there's always this like one drum hit. It's Jesse's not a metal drummer and he's an amazing drummer, and there's songs on here where he like he sounds incredible. Every single verse, he is playing the exact same. I'm burning bridges for the last time. Every single song has that kind of beat and melody and rhythm to it and then he does his here's my clean singing part that sounds like all the clean singing parts on the rest of the album every song going forward it's the same fucking there's that <laughs> let's see the title track has a stronger hook uh and it does have that like kind of that's uh, the same like guitar riff that they know too yeah it stands out on that song pretty strong Beauty Through the Eyes of the Predator, I'm like, my notes were, God damn, his verses are the same. Annihilate the Corrupt. Uh, I started just finding different ways to, like, describe his vocals, too. I call them Rabble Rabble, 
like a Hamburglar voice on Our Faces Fall Apart. Um, I said vroom, like a car engine on Summer Darkness. Grumble, grumble, grumble. That's on Annihilate the Corrupt. And everything was white. God damn it. That verse is back again. We've had this chorus again. Why are we doing this? Jesse sounds very bored on the verses. That's where I'm like the, <laughs> the one hit. Coffin Builder, I remember being like, oh, he changed the pattern of his verse. Nope. Back to the pre-chorus. Oh, no. And I said multiple times, these riffs are very uninteresting and very boring. These guitar lines are the same on every single song. They only knew how to write one song. The best song of that format is the opening track, Not Ready to Die. They copy Not Ready to Die five times on this record. <laughs> That's the best version of that sound, sounding song. Yeah. And then they try another uh, Heartstrings Come Undone later with I Play Dead. And that one's okay. I got some Seether on that one. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I think I have some like Alice in Chains-ish moments at, at another part in it. And the album gets worse the longer it goes on. One, it's 54 minutes long. Their first record was 38 minutes. They have It's too long. There's too many songs, like 13 tracks, 14 tracks. It's too long. The guest vocals add next to nothing. Uh, and in at least one case, detract. Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, um, it Coffin Builder. Coffin Builder. With old Trevor. Trevor McNevin of Thousand Foot Crutch, a rap rock band that took off after rap rock was popular. <laughs> yeah. This is a post-trapped style rap rock band. Uh, they were the Christian trapped is kind of how you would view them. The worst part of the entire album is his guest bridge, <laughs> whatever he does on this record. And every day I feel like this weight's constantly dragging me down, broken for the Yeah, it's not good. Um, he sounds goofy mm-hmm. in such a heavy band. Mm-hmm. My wife and I have it in common that for probably a six-month period for both of us, as teenagers, Thousand Foot Crutch was our favorite band. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tricked did, everybody with that one record. I did have that one record, and I loved it for about six months until mm-hmm. I had exhausted it and listened to it too many times. Mm-hmm. Trevor would also be in the band, the pop punk band, Hawk Nelson, right? FM Static. FM Static. Uh, that's right. Hawk Nelson was the good one. Yeah, FM Static was not good. <laughs> yeah. But his voice fit better. It does. Uh, it does fit better. He makes more sense as a pop punk vocalist than a rap rock vocalist. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst fucking performance on this album. Like, it's the worst moment. I even remember back then being like, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even a fan of like the 36 Crazy Fizz guest because it's just like, what? I don't like this either. It wasn't very good. But that was, uh, Coffin Builder was like an actual skip for me back in 2004. I was like, I'm going to skip Coffin Builder. Yeah. Best guest appearance is Mike magazine on the best song yeah it's to the point where you're like why didn't y'all write more of these well well we sell money with those they had they had a template (laughs) they clearly had a formula for writing songs for this record at least i don't feel like it's as obvious on the first record and oh yeah from my memory the triptych was i think a record that we probably enjoyed more when it came out and probably had probably had more longevity for as you know the length of our interest in demon hunter as a band because there was more variety in the songwriting largely due to the fact i think that they brought in other members 
Yes, for the triptych they brought in Ethan Luck of dozens of bands. Started uh, many bands. Yeah. Not many of them heavy bands. Uh he started unashamed. Yeah. Okay. Um that was one. He he always he had this habit of like starting bands and leaving them before their first record even came out. Because he like started the supertones and then doesn't come in until like loud and clear, which is yeah. like their fourth album. Uh and then Yogi does drum on the triptych and Yogi was a metal drummer. Uh he was in the band Holland before. He was not in any metal bands before. He's his playing is more metal though. Jesse's a better drummer, but he's not a metal drummer. Yes, and I think that's what makes the triptych better than Summer of Darkness is just having another guitar player write songs because he, I think he is involved in the actual writing of that album. And so I was like, I revisited that one just for a second, just to hear what the first song is of that record, what it sounds like. By the way, the same vocal rhythm. Same thing, vocally. They would do more arrangement varying on that record, and I think that's why that record's better. Because... Why does every single song on here have two pre-choruses that they have to hit a minimum of three times? I've never seen a band do verse, pre-chorus, different pre-chorus, chorus, repeat, all of that, bridge, sometimes a second bridge, too. Like, they would do two different things on the bridge. Back to the pre-chorus, second pre-chorus. And then chorus. I think they're even labeled pre-chorus one, pre-chorus two in the liner notes. I want to say that that kind of song structuring is more common than you think. I think that it happens a lot in commercial rock and metal, uh, especially of this time period and and going forward. Uh, I think that we just don't encounter it because we don't listen to those bands. <laughs> I will say I listen to the the podcast the pod cast which is like a new metal podcast where they go through and talk about old new metal records and one of the episodes i listened to recently he did say he's like man this album this album has a lot of pre-choruses on it and i can't remember yeah. which which album it was maybe like disturbed or something like that so maybe you're right it is more of a alternative metal thing mainstream rock music which i don't know i don't understand the point of a pre-chorus i mean i certainly have I don't know. It's just a long chorus is what it is. <laughs> the chorus with a refrain is actually what it is. I don't think that the pre-chorus is really a real uh, musical concept. Um, it's just a part of a. You're just dividing a chorus into parts unnecessarily, or you just have overly convoluted choruses. Yeah, I don't know. It's a di- it's a dynamic building tool at its best. I think that it loses its dynamic energy when it is used the way that it is so repeatedly (laughs) yeah once you reach the halfway point of this record you're just like when's this over now
Like, I do think that the first four, they're each unique enough in their songwriting that they're like, cool, pretty good batch. Then you get to the same thing over and over again, the rest of the record. And the songs are so long. Five minutes and three seconds. First track. Four minutes, 11. Beheaded the best song. 314. Pretty good. Heartstrings Come Undone. 438. Our Faces Fall Apart. 452. Less Than Nothing is a 257. What's Less Than Nothing? Do I remember anything about Less Than Nothing? This one had a very new metal intro. Harmonic guitar repeated with a hip-hop beat. It's the... Yeah. Jesse has cool fills. Ryan sings the chorus is the same. Chug Chug. I like the pan back and forth. It's like where they do like that back and forth in the headphones. Jesse solo question mark. Synth chorus is back. Death metal vocals. I guess he did his little lower thing there. He does do that a couple times on this record. He does get a little bit of a low gurgle. Synth pan back and forth. And my last note on that song is it ended when it should have. <laughs> it did. It's, it is one of the better songs. I do think it is one of the better songs. Three minute track, five minute track, four minute track, five minute track, nearly four minute track, four minute track. Last song, three forty three. Fifty four minutes and forty four seconds. Thirteen tracks. Too fucking long. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what is the legacy of this record? I recall from the time period being on the message boards, uh, this was a record that lost people. Yeah, it was. Well, simultaneously, the record, the record where they lost people and gained new fans. It was right. one of this because it got more attention than the first record did. They toured more extensively behind it. The members being secret was less of a thing. And, you know, the soundtrack appearance, they um, there's a video, I think, for the opening track that is on MTV2. They had a video for Infected, the first album, but I don't think it got much play anywhere. So they're. I remember on the message boards at the time, there were people in there who were like, I only like the first record because we were still on the message boards. So that's an important uh, element to the Demon Hunter story that I don't think most people know, because why would you know this? This is ridiculously deep fan lore. Demon Hunter had a message board. A lot mm-hmm. of bands had message boards back then. A lot of them. Um, a lot of them were not very good. Um, the, <laughs> the Demon Hunter message board was actually pretty fun and a very active board lots of people posting in it they had a lot of very funny personalities in there and one of the big signature things that would happen in that message board is you would have a new person come into the message board for the first time and go hey i'm a little confused about the lyrics of this band are they a christian band and it just got it started happening so often that it then turned into a joke where the people on the board would go no Demon Hunter is Wicca, which then later shortened to DH is Wicca, which then that joke ran so far that people made up fake artwork and fake uh, song titles like We Are Wicca Maxi Single was like one of the big running jokes. And it happened so frequently that I remember I even got to be like one of the people. No, they're Wicca like first on a couple different threads. Like it just happened that often. Yeah, I don't know why there was any confusion about uh, the religious beliefs of Demon Hunter. They were very upfront. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a thing I want to talk about about them later, too. Uh, don't want to forget that. I'll check my notes before we finish the show, because I definitely want to talk about that. Yeah, it was just like a joke. DH is Wicca. Demon Hunter's Wicca. Ha ha. DH is Wicca. Very funny. Happened all the fucking time. 
there were some really funny threads of people even pretending to be like, I'm a youth pastor and I came and it really funny threads. Like it was a good group of people because they were also the people where you're like, if you like this band, you'll like this one. You know, they were giving recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. There was the download thread where it was just like, here, download this. That's the first place I learned how to download WinRAR. They used to put them in like comments. That was like the trick. So you couldn't get like Googled and found. You put them in yeah. the comments and then like you copy that and paste it, download the RAR file and all that stuff. And you just get all this stuff. Like that's the first place I learned how to do all that stuff. It was the code brackets. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember. Was it the band? The band didn't like the DH's Wicca joke. They hated the DH's Wicca joke. They probably did not like the piracy uh, <laughs> message board. Yeah, but that, that I don't remember that being really a hot button issue. That was par for the course for message boards in, in that time period. Um, they didn't like the general atmosphere of the message board. Because it was a bunch of jaded he's jaded uh smarks if you want to call it take wrestling terms smart marks in there just being like oh yeah we're in on the joke and it did i'd say it maybe ran off some newer people maybe i don't know it's a message board though you know it's a message board right for a metal band you know the band hated the dh's wicked jokes they didn't like how everybody was like "Eh, first records are best you know (laughs) by the time the second and third had come out uh, even though I do remember there being a very strong contingent of people being like, I like this better than Summer Darkness. Apparently, the band wanted to just like scrap the message board at one point entirely, which makes me wonder, were they lurkers? Because they weren't posters. I think Yogi posted once when he was new and answered some questions because nobody knew who he was. Yeah, they probably like, lurked it. Their manager ran it. Yeah, their manager, Ryan Downey, who also was the manager for the band Zeo. So he was probably like, Oh, message boards with metalcore bands? Uh-oh. Because uh, uh, Zayo famously wrote an entire song about that. Ryan Downey also uh, worked for Entertainment Tonight and <laughs> was at the Source Awards where Suge Knight got shot, right? Yeah, I think he was at that. Uh, Hollywood industry dude, whatever. Yeah. So Cryptic comes out, the next record. The atmosphere stays the same. The DH's Wicked Jokes continue. Record four comes out, Storm the Gates of Hell. They killed the message board. They created a private message board for super fans. The only way to be a member of this message board was to pay and become part of the fan club to get in the message board. Right before that happened, though, Brian Downey gets in there and basically yells at everyone about why they're doing this. Like, yeah, your shitty attitude and the DH's wicked jokes is the reason why we're doing this. We're killing the message board. So then everybody migrated to the between uh, becoming the archetype boards because they were like kind of like the sister board because Ryan did guest vocals on a becoming the archetype record. So everybody was like, let's go over here. And that's where everybody like talked about it. And it just turned. And then the jokes got worse. Yeah. They were then called money hunters in the, in the message board because it was a paid membership fan club you had to be a part of. And you got like a necklace with a demon hunter emblem on it or whatever. And uh there were some people who like actually paid to join it just to see what was going on in there. And they're like, it's fine. It's not as fun. Um, there's like one or two people in there who still hold on to the TH is a wicked joke. But there are a lot of people who complained about the old board because they didn't like the jokes. And so that's when Dylan and I were like, fuck these guys. <laughs> it was a souring, uh, not loving the triptych. Yeah. Uh, I think also when it came out and just being like, eh. What it it, it was had is, to grow, I think, on us. The triptych had to grow on us when it initially came out. Uh, and then, yeah, that whole board getting shut down and 
really soured, you know, just the attitude of of it. Yeah, we were definitely we were already on the way out. And then they they slammed the door shut on us. And we were like, I wasn't ready, but whatever. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So then it turned into, man, those guys suck. (laughs) Storm of the Gates of Hill sucks. And everything they did after that is not good. We were, you know, dumb teenagers. Uh, I'll, I'll say that much. Like shutting down a message board isn't yeah. isn't the end of the world but it was a particularly pissy reaction mm-hmm. the way that they handled it was I think like it's because it felt like they were yelling oh it's weird to have like the band come down on your the fans quote fans <laughs> not a lot of fans left in that board by the end of it but like yeah it was a really weird way to end it yeah um you mentioned the legacy of summer of darkness if you look at all of the ratings of their albums, because they have so many fucking albums, 12 LPs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they have a large number of records. I I don't get it. Um, this is. Um, wow. OK, apparently this, the lowest rated record is their 2019 album, Peace. It's got a 2.84 It's a double album with Peace and War. One was there. Oh, that's right. Because wasn't Peace like the soft album and War was the metal album? Like that was the one was the rock album. One was the metal album. So apparently nobody liked the rock album. The lowest rated record, according to Rate Your Music Users, is that one. But then it, well, Exile 2.90, their newest record, 2022. But if we're talking about lower down, uh, Demon Hunter, self titled, 3.04. Summer Darkness, 3.05. The Triptych, 3.18. Their highest rated is Extremist, which is 2014 with a 3.30. Oh, no. Songs of Death and Resurrection has a 3.36. That's much higher. Yeah. So not really a beloved record. You know, like a lot of bands where it's like the first couple records are usually the most enjoyed albums out of a band's discography. And the Demon Hunter fan base clearly doesn't care about those first two records. Because what is a Demon Hunter fan base throughout the 2010s? Like, I don't know who's listening to them. Yeah, I was curious to see, do they play anything from this? They play like one song from each of the first three albums per show. Uh, For the most part, it's not ready to die from this record. It's really actually the only song that I've seen on any of these set lists. They have a pretty consistent set list. Uh, I want to say the one self-titled song they do is Infected. So they're doing the singles from these records. They do Undying from the Triptych. Yeah, that makes sense. So they're not pulling out deep cuts from the first couple of records. They are not uh, their fan base currently does not care about the first couple of records from the looks of it. Yeah. So I mentioned this earlier. Are we getting are we going to get into the dirt? The controversy is I guess this is kind of controversial. So I completely forgot about the military thing. Oh, yeah. So at some point, Metallica came out publicly and was like, Hey, military, can you stop using our songs for torture, for torture tactics? You know, they do that thing where they're trying to get somebody to come out of a building. They blast the music as loud as they possibly can, or then actually just play it so loud that it like is literally painful for the yeah. people that they're interrogating. Yeah. Metallica said, hey, um, can you stop using our music for that? And then Demon Hunter said, hey, you can use our music for that. Then a Navy SEAL who was supposedly one of the probably SEAL Team 6 is the idea, said that he was wearing a Demon Hunter patch when he killed Osama Bin Laden. 
Um, I think he's full of shit. I think he's lying that he's the one who did it. He may have been in the crew or whatever. And I think the military does not reveal who did what and stuff like that. So that's why he got away with saying he was the one who did it. Yeah. And then they tried to be like, oh, well, you know, um, as far as we know, like, we don't know that our stuff was used. Like, I don't know. It's just it's like, but you volunteered it. Now, who knows yeah. that happened? And I think they sent care packages to some military people. And then I was just like, oh, cool. I think they were like, "Ooh, bad look, guys. Mm, maybe we shouldn't uh, admit to that. But yeah, I remember reading that at the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, what a shitty thing to do. Uh, <laughs> Demon Hunter pro torture band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the the quote that they um, contacted the military and said, you should use our music uh, comes from the guy, the seal who says that he shot uh, Bin Laden. So, you know, that's grain of salt questionable because, I mean, the fact that he's out there claiming he's the one who pulled the trigger, you know, it's <laughs> like they don't they don't normally tell who literally assassinated yeah. uh, a political leader um, specifically unless they get caught. <laughs> There's a reason for that, too, because it's like, oh, maybe they get retaliated against, you know, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So take that with a grain of salt. But still. So so the the demon hunter response was that they said we we approved military wearing our patches, which so I don't know if maybe if they had were contacted because a lot of soldiers were wearing patches, demon hunter patches and the military is probably like, well, we need clearance if we're going to otherwise we need to make sure pictures of soldiers wearing these patches don't ever show up anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I will say the demon hunter logo is good. Remember, this was a band that had a logo first. Because Ryan came up with the design for the original Demon Hunter logo. It's a cool design. It's a good logo. I had that logo on a t-shirt. It's now a little tasteless. Taste, I feel like it's a little tasteless because it's a bullet hole in a demon's head, I guess. It's kind of the, ah, cool, bullets, great. But also, if uh, I saw that on like military people's arms and patches, I'd be like, so uh, what uh, white power group does that logo stand for? Because <laughs> that's what it looks like. Now. It looks like a Punisher skull. It now, does. It looks know. like a Punisher skull. Yeah. You're yeah. like, is that a bad one? Or is that just like generically badass? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was intended to be generically badass. And I, I you know, I'll defend them for that. But but yeah, they've they are a an outspokenly, uh, you know, military supporting band. For the most part. And not in a generic support the troops kind of way. Right. Aren't they like very pro military just in general? Yeah. I don't know how much of that is just that they did that. I don't know. The um, the personal politics of the members of Demon Hunter are not something I've looked into. They've been on uh, Ryan's been on what Mark Salomon's podcast. Yeah. And like he did that record with Jason Martin. Well, we don't really know the politics of Jason Martin. <laughs> no, it's true. He's a very private person. Enigmatic. But he also did the record with Randy Torres, and Randy seems to be a pretty cool dude. Yeah. I think anyone who passes Mark's pretty Mark high and Billy. are. Mark and Billy are both Billy Power, Blenderhead, Mark Solomon, the Staves Acre. They had podcasts yeah. at one point. They're very left-leaning. Yeah. individuals mark especially he yells at republicans on twitter all day long like yeah <laughs> so i would say probably in the centrist and i think it probably you know post uh bin laden shooting um <laughs> they're probably are just like let's 
avoid overtly political statements. They did do the thing where they originally were like, a, you know, we're Christians and we're in a band, but we're not like a Christian band. Like that was their original thing. Yeah. But then later they were like, fuck it. We're a Christian band. Yeah. Which, the, yeah. The Christians in a band thing is a silly thing. But what's a Christian plumber? It's always that one. That's always, <laughs> always a Christian plumber. It's like, what exactly is a Christian plumber? I've heard that so many fucking times. Uh, it's a plumber with a. Uh... A Jesus verses and <laughs> on their van, like you see that that yeah. thing actually. <laughs> uh, In and Out has Bible verses on their cups, <sighs> same as Cookout. You know, I was curious what like reviews existed out there. I found three. All Music gave it three stars. It says Summer of Darkness isn't perfect. Some of the tunes are excellent, while others merely decent. But the number of excellent songs has increased a bit for Demon Hunter, and even through Summer of Darkness falls. Sh- even though Summer of Darkness falls short of ideal. It's still an enjoyable step forward for the alt-metal headbangers. More positive than I thought it would be from them. Cross Rhythms, which is a Christian music website, gave it a 7 out of 10, saying, If you thought The Light in Guinevere's Garden by East West was overproduced, you will (laughs) like this. (laughs) Oh, man. One thing about East West, they are not overproduced. They are underproduced. It's a tad heavier and darker. The lyrics are cryptic, but definitely dark, angry, morose, and negative. The only clear edification comes from Coffin Builder, a song about dying to self daily. Excellent. This is very good stuff. But people will disagree with me. I don't know what it is. I don't know that it is an enduring classic. Give it time and we'll see. Even the review that's like, oh, good stuff. I don't know if it's going to last, though. (laughs) Uh, And then Punk News review gave it two stars and said the band pulls off some nice harmonizing often but it's overshadowed by the lackadaisicalness of the slow almost monotone vocals that slip in nearly every song when they sing the line i saw the fall of all your children i'm so cold and our faces fall apart as the song fades out it sounds more like general carelessness than depression I'd imagine that if there were a video made for the song, the shot of the vocalist singing like this would have had him seated in some dusty wooden chair in a room of solitary confinement as he looks apathetically off camera. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's one of the prime reasons this album is so disinteresting. <laughs> Punk news with the legit, like, here's how I'm going to review this shit. Even the people that they only have Christian albums to review are like, I don't know if it's going to be well liked later. And it's not. It doesn't hold up. It didn't hold up 10 years ago. It didn't hold up 15 years ago. It's Slipknot Light. Lamb of God Light. Yeah. Yeah. One really great song. One pretty good song. One okay song. And a bunch of bad songs <laughs> on this record. Yeah. It's dumb. Have any final thoughts on the album? Not really. We're going to get yelled at. You think so? They have a pretty super fan fan base. Um, I don't think the band's going to go for us or anything like that yeah uh, still have a super fan fan base still they are a tattoo band oh that's right tattoo bands they are <laughs> aggressively a tattoo band <laughs> that's true 50 percent of their instagram feed is demon hunter oh. tattoos oh does demon hunter search their own hashtag yeah this might be this might be a not tagged um it doesn't matter episode. you you now on Instagram, you can just search for stuff. Yeah. It used to be you had to hashtag stuff to be found it. But now I think you can still find it if you just say Demon Hunter in <laughs> the thread. Woof. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's like six. Uh, Dave Quiggle has like six flash sheets for Demon Hunter. 
yeah that, that they hired him to do i kind of actually want one of them it's the least demon obviously demon hunter flash <laughs> on there it's just like a broken chain i'm like that's that would fit on my elbow it's like a space <laughs> bill for me <laughs> yeah i forgot they were a tattoo band uh yeah we might get some people who are like I'm so excited to listen to this. And then they listen to it and they go, I can't believe you didn't like this. That's yeah, happened we should, before. We should probably throw some. Should we, Dis- should we disclaimer? This is not a very positive episode. This is Sorry. not a positively reviewed album. We went into it with the best intentions. Like, listen. Will nostalgia sustain us through this? Listen. We know by like critical standards, it's probably not great. <laughs> but will it be fun enough to carry us? And it wasn't. It was unfortunately just not fun enough. <laughs> Let's say this though: they were important to us in our musical growth and our development. Being one of the first hardcore metal shows we've ever seen is very important. I will cherish the memory of going to that show, including all the times that Ryan Clark mimed a knife. He mimes that knife so many times, <laughs> like four times that show. <laughs> Yeah, he's a hand singer. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he was like a guitar player in Training for Utopia. So, like, he's yeah. like, I got to do something. So this record was very important to me. I loved it at the time. I grew out of it. The band accelerated my reason for not for growing out of it. And then it just didn't hold up for me. Like I said, listen to the first. If you like this kind of stuff, the first four songs I say are worth listening to. But then after that, I'm just done. I don't want to hear the rest of it. So if I ever get the nostalgia kick feel and i'm like i want to listen to something outside of the self-titled i'll probably listen to the first three and then turn it off in the middle of the fourth one because i'm like all right i know how hard strings goes i don't need to hear that again the head it's great the head's a great song not ready to die is the best template song for the record and the awakening is actually different enough that it feels fresh weird that they put that song there they must have been like what well, doesn't fit anywhere else you want to rate it give it a star rating two and a half two and a half yeah yeah, two, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. It's just I would long. say two and a quarter, but nah, two and a half. There is I got enough out of the first couple songs. Two and it's it's too long and too repetitive. Yeah, way too long. I think both albums on either side of it are much shorter. <laughs> yeah, I think they were like, well, we got to keep our guest verse songs, even though those are some of the weakest. That's probably why it's as long as it is. <laughs> well, I don't leave the better songs off the off the record, but. Yeah, well, that'll do it for us, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know. Hopefully you got this far. Hopefully our detractors are not (laughs) going to the first negative comment immediately go and like, fuck this band, zero stars. I disagree with the reviews in this podcast. The opinions expressed. (laughs) All right, that'll do it. Thank you, everyone. Give us a rating or review on iTunes, (laughs) but not if you're going to give me one star just because you disagree with my opinion. Yeah. Thank you so much, and we will see you later. To order Punk, call the number on your screen. Rush delivery is available. Remember, this special offer is not sold in stores.